Hello and welcome back to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Well, good morning, C2. I'm Pastor Jeremy, and uh, I brought some friends along with me today. I kind of sound like Mr. Rogers when I say that, don't I? I need to put on my slippers and my sweater right now, all right? But uh, we're continuing our, our series called Collide, so glad that you were with us this morning. You know, yesterday, about this time, we had hundreds of teenagers in this building and in this room. They were sharing in what we call our Fine Arts Festival, which is uh, through the Northern Missouri District of the Assemblies of God uh, here in Northern Missouri, and they came together and they shared their talents, and it's kind of a little competition as they are using their, their gifts and talents for the Lord, and uh, several of our students put a lot of hard work and hours of practice into it and did really well. They all did great yesterday, some of them even advancing to the national competition in Orlando this summer. So students, would you stand, uh, those of you who participated in the competition yesterday, would you stand and let us recognize you? Awesome. Awesome. Great job. And uh, we look forward to having you share your talents with us on a Sunday morning sometime. You all just got a little bit nervous there, I understand. Last week, uh, Dr. Glass, you shared with us a, a great concept of how we might begin to understand a God that we shouldn't really be able to understand. But that kind of God is perfect, perfectly reasonable and possible as you unfolded that uh, last week in light of Scripture. You called him flat man. I like that. And so I know several people uh, have requested that uh, podcast. It's up on our podcast. There's a video of it as well. And uh, you can share that uh, if you want to just review it or you want to share it with a friend or family member. Uh, that's on our website, c2church.com. You can click on the media and find it there. It's also on our Facebook page. So with us this morning is Dr. Glass. Uh, he has a PhD in chemistry. We have Brittany Hayes, who is going to work towards a doctorate at some point. Is that, is that prophecy in your life? You, you have uh, uh, specialized in biology education as a high school biology teacher. Dr. Leah Criswell, PhD in physics, and Dr. Bill Logan, also a PhD in physics. Could you give them a warm, warm round of applause this morning? Welcome them. You know, as we, we go along in this series called Collide, we've been talking about the question really was, do faith and science collide? And what we're what we're really pointing to is oftentimes is our worldviews of science and faith and how those are colliding. I want to remind you that as we go along, we really are just inviting you into the conversation. Wherever you fall in terms of faith, whether you have yet to believe in Jesus Christ as the revealed Son of God, or perhaps you've, you've committed your life to Christ and have been a follower for many years, we want to invite you into the conversation. And perhaps... If you feel far from God and perhaps deny his existence, maybe you'll, your curiosity will be piqued and, and you'll allow for, for the possibility that the faith that, that we hold dear is real. And for those of you who, who claim followership of, of Christ, our goal is to move you more towards Jesus, more towards awe and wonder of God. Really, we're not trying to give you a better defense of your faith or an apologetic stance of your faith, but we could certainly create that for you, which is fine. Really want to prompt you to more discovery. And I was really challenged last week, Dr. Glass, when you said that the more you discover, the more questions you have, and the more in awe of God you are. And I thought, I wonder if I take such approach to life. Do I 
do I, am I constantly seeking and is my curiosity leading me to discover new things about God that cause me to be in wonder of him? You know, I think we're all on this journey for a search of truth. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says it this way. He has made everything beautiful in its time. God has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It really is in the heart of all of us to search out that eternity that we feel. We, we grasp for something that's greater than ourselves, and, and perhaps today that curiosity will be piqued. You'll, you'll join the conversation in our search for truth. If you've got a smart device and you want to blast out something on social media, you can like us on Facebook or uh, Twitter. Perhaps you'll throw something out like this. I'm amazed at, what God, uh, at God and his creation, and maybe you'll add something to that about why you stand in awe and wonder of God. So talking about science and faith, are they at odds, or is it simply the worldview that we hold, our worldview simply being how we filter uh, the observations and the experiences that we have. How do you deal with that, Brittany, uh, on a high school level when you're trying to kind of introduce students to science? Um, well, that's exactly what I have to do. As an educator, my goal is to try to get them to think for themselves um, and then present, present everything as a, on a basic level. I mean, I've got 14-year-olds coming to me asking me, like, what is biology? So I have to start very brief. Um, and I just tell them simply... Science, the word science, comes from the Latin word scientia, which just means knowledge. And I think we've kind of warped that, but if you get down to it, really, we're just trying to discover things. We're trying to gain new knowledge. We're trying to gather evidence and data about the observable world around us. And yes, that used to be just very... um, simple things. We used to be able to observe the outside of human bodies, and we used to be able to observe trees and leaves and things like that. And then we got telescopes, and we could observe bigger, and we got microscopes, and we could observe smaller. But the point remains, we're really just gathering things. Um, and, and then it's up to you to decide what you do with that information. And that's how a scientist would think. And so um, I actually found a chart that actually explains this really well um, to me. What God has revealed to us has come in a couple of different forms come in the form of scripture, and everybody's Bible says the same thing, pretty much. Uh, And then it's also come in the form of nature, and we're gathering that knowledge. But what we do with it, um, our theology, our thoughts about that, the different denominations we get, etc., comes from our interpretation, how we see things. And then science is really just our interpretation of what God has given us in the form of nature. Um, And so really, we're all seeing that through different lenses, no matter who you are. I, I like how that's put out, the revelation of God, both in Scripture and in nature, lead us, hopefully, to discover him more and more. Um, but it seems that even in, you mentioned different denominations in, in religion and theology, we have these different constructs of uh, how we arrive at our conclusions of God and faith. And in science, you, have, you even have different constructs and yeah. theories. How, why, do we ha- why isn't that we take the same data set and all come to the same conclusion? Well, we don't come to the same conclusion because we're looking at it with our own biases. And yes, even scientists come into their field with with biases. We have our worldview. We have our beliefs. We enter in with all of these beliefs, these... I think yours was working now. It Was it working? I don't know. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Keep going. We'll pass back and forth. Um, And these color the hypotheses and the theories that scientists Mm -hmm. develop. So if you're coming from one worldview, you're going to interpret data one way. If you're coming from a different worldview, maybe a Christian worldview, you interpret it another way. But it's everybody is biased. 
So there's not, you can't look at science and look at the results, the interpretations, and think the scientist is unbiased. They're not. So. That's shocking. <laughs> that scientists aren't unbiased. They're human, and, and yet we all have the same data collection, uh, data, the same evidence, and yet we come up with different conclusions. We were talking about that, Bill. Maybe you can uh, inform yeah, us that, on that a little bit. That idea that we have a data set and there are conclusions, um, um, theories or whatever you want to call them, and they come out differently, that's confusing. And let me explain to you a couple things why it's confusing, because I think if we can understand the basic problem, we'll take a couple of steps toward getting a solution. What happens has happened historically is there are data sets that pretty much a group of people will think this is true. And a lot of times it is true. There are, there are some fundamentals in life, fundamentals in science and technology that are, that are absolutely true. Those will be put together and conclusions will be drawn. So you take a set of data, draw some conclusions. They're just that. They're theories or conclusions. But if enough people who are well-known and it goes on over a long period of time that somehow in record-keeping, be it the newspaper, be it a journal, or be it a textbook, gets looked upon as a fact. Now, historically, we also know that the conclusions from data sets frequently are shown later to be wrong. And I think we what? talked about... <laughs> yes. We, we talked a little bit about it, and, and one that I think most people have heard about is if you go back hundreds of years, the data was telling everybody that the earth is perfectly flat. And the church got in, and I want to mention that where Christians come into this, and we should be in, that's what I want to say, but the church was on the flat side of things. No, no offense, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> well, later data showed that was wrong. But there was a lot of turmoil. So that's, that's where a lot of the turmoil comes in is that if, if we would be a little more careful about saying this is a conclusion or a theory, um, there would, we, we would move along. Now, I think that's the way God wants us to move, okay? Uh, I'll give you an example in a minute, but I think that God hardwired us to be what I call model makers. We take data, we put it together, that's a model, becomes a model, and we look at the model to see what else it says besides the data that went into making the model. Now, and the reason I think that, let me read a scripture for you. Um, Proverbs chapter 2, starting in verse 3, if I can turn the page. It says, Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them as hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. And here's verse 6, key to what we're talking about. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And what I, what I believe is that in that, those three things that come directly from the Lord, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And you, if you haven't, read through Proverbs. It talks about that right and left. And get your kids to do that. Uh, historically, we've offered kids money to read the book of Proverbs, $5 a chapter. It's the best $160 you'll ever spend. Is that still a going offer? Because yeah. I'd like yeah. to get in on that. Yeah, anybody, any, any kid, kid, and, <laughs> kid, 
Your your child? Oh, never mind. Only my children are. I mean, I can't. All right. So that's that's where we are, and God has made us that way. And whether we're Christian or not, we're hardwired that way. So that's that's how we deal with things in front of us. But we have this confusion factor of confusing conclusions and theories with facts. Hmm. Okay, so that's tough. Well, by default, we we believe. Yeah. Scientists, because they're let, smarter than us. Let me give you an example of that. Or though. me. I won't throw you all yeah. under that bus. But An example of model making and, and not working out the way you wanted it to. We have areas, geographical areas, and we like to, to go in there and we like to know where we're going. So historically, there's grown up the art of making maps, topography. Okay, so let's take an example. A map maker draws a map of, of a specific area. And people that live in that general area ha- all have the map. And it becomes an issue of how to get from point A to point B the quickest. So that everybody reads their map and says, well, yeah, you take this road, this road, this road. And that's how you get there. And that's how you get there the quickest. Well, that's it over and over again. And then the maps are put away because everybody knows that's the quickest way to get there. Well, somebody goes out and has a little time and takes a look and, wait a minute, there's another road over here that's a lot shorter and it's a much better road, and you can get there a lot quicker that way. The problem was that road was not on the map. So the model was the map. The erroneous conclusion was that, that the way the map showed was the quickest way to get. And that goes on. You can apply that to social science, financial science, any, any of these areas. That's where the confusion comes from. Right. So conclusions aren't to be confused with facts, and yet, as yeah. I said before, we, by default, we, we yeah. trust scientists because, well, they're scientists. But, and, it's and it's Christ- the they. It's, it's them. They, yeah. they said this. But, but so it we, isn't them. We're, we're all in it. Christians are need to be in this as well. Yeah. But we do talk about they quite a bit. Yeah. It's true. We, it's it's one of those, it's funny things that you know you guys have all heard. You know they say this or they say that. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard. You know many years ago they the great day whoever they were said that you know cholesterol is bad for you, right? Um, and so we went with that for a long time. Don't eat cholesterol. Lower your cholesterol. And then they say, well, actually, is there good cholesterol and there's bad cholesterol? So you have to be careful to make sure you have good cholesterol, whatever that is. And I'm not sure if you guys have noticed, but like a few weeks ago, the great day has decided that now actually, whatever cholesterol you doesn't doesn't actually matter at all. It's just how much your body makes. So it's all kind of, you know, not really important. That actually came out a couple weeks ago. And there's the I've thought. been living like that for a long time. Glad <laughs> science finally caught up with exactly. me. Exactly. Um, yeah, there's a lot of doctors like, oh, no, that's not right. But, you know, the great day says it must be true, right? Well, you know, we're all part of the great day, and trust us, you know, they don't know what they think they know. Um, and they're telling us what they think think is right but you know as as bill was saying you know that changes all the time based on the the facts that you gather and the conclusions change all the time so just because someone says this is the right thing doesn't mean necessarily it is right it's just the best conclusion we can come up with with the facts that we have Uh, one of my favorite uh current 
uh, conclusions that are drawn, which I think is kind of fun in science, has to do with um, uh, cosmology and the way the universe works, right? So I think I have this funny picture of a, of a galaxy. So if you, you know, if you look at these great telescopes now, it gives you unbelievable pictures of the universe. It's really amazing. Um, but one of them, you know, they show these galaxies, they're spinning galaxies. And so you have these stars that spin around the center of a galaxy, like planets spin around the sun. It's really, really cool. Um, the, the problem with them is, scientifically, if you look at them, you can kind of get an estimate of how fast they spin. And the idea is that they're spinning really fast, but gravity holds the stars in place. They hold the stars inside the galaxy so they don't go spinning off. Uh, but if you do this sort of like math on how much mass is in one of these galaxies, there really isn't enough to keep those stars from spinning off into space by themselves. So that's a real problem, right? So, you know, so cosmologists look at that and say, well, we don't really know how these galaxies hold together because they're spinning too fast for the amount of mass that's in them. So the obvious conclusion here is, well, there must be mass in that galaxy that we can't see that's helping to hold them together, right? So we can't see it. It's kind of invisible to us, so we'll call it dark matter because it's kind of dark to us. I don't know if you've ever, ever heard of this. It's really awesome. So the idea is this galaxy is full of dark matter that, has, that we can't see, but it has enough gravity to hold all those stars into place. And you might think, well, how much dark matter is out there? Well, it turns out if you do the math, about 90% of all the mass of the universe is invisible mass, right? So there is this invisible, unknowable mass that holds the universe together. Really? <laughs> I mean, it's neat. It's the current, that is the current theory of the universe. And, you know, my goodness, I mean, it's, it's kind of out there, right? But that's, the, that's what the facts have led us to conclude. So you can't see it. You can't touch it. You can't feel it. We have no idea what it is. You have no idea what it is. But it holds but the, there. But it holds the universe together. Interesting. I don't know if I can believe in something I can't believe and can't see. Yeah, I can't believe in that, right? You, you were talking about something similar in our discussions. Right. Related, there's also dark energy. Oh, dear. <laughs> that, again, we can't really um, directly measure or detect, but the universe has been found to be expanding, and the only way that it would expand in the fashion that it is is if there's this extra energy out in the voids of space that they've called dark energy, causing it to expand. Now, uh, in Einstein's day, he developed the theory of general relativity, and because they thought the universe was static, to get his equations to work, he put in a fudge factor. I like fudge. (laughs) Well, it turns out that this fudge factor that's now caused, called the cosmological constant, describes the dark energy. So, as this... Hmm. The universe is expanding. They've uh, discovered that the mass of the universe, along with this expansion factor, describes the universe as flat. And I know you're thinking, well, we're in a three-dimensional world. That's true. But the, the universe is described by the geometry that you learned in high school called... Euclidean geometry. There you go. <laughs> I didn't even know I learned it, but apparently I did. So that describes what we call a flat universe. Well, if these values were a little bit high, the universe would just collapse in on itself even before stars could have formed. Hmm. If the values were a little bit too low, the universe would have just expanded more rapidly, maybe even to the point of just ripping apart. And so this causes a problem 
And they actually give it a name. It's the flatness problem. I love that scientists name their problems. Yes. Like their children. Yes. And there's even a second problem from all of this, and that's that there's a cosmic microwave background radiation. And it's very, very uniform. And Did this causes that? problems for them as well. And so they even say that these are coincidences that they oh, have yes. trouble explaining. And so then they come up with a, the idea, it's just a kind of a hypothesis, we don't really have a way to prove it, that there's this thing called inflation, where in the very early moments of the universe, the universe ex- uh, expanded faster than the speed of light. So wow. <laughs> it's like, but yet they don't see this as a, a stretch. They try to explain this all, this coincidence, and I just kind of perceive that as requiring as much faith as to believe that there was a creator God that orchestrated these coincidences. Yeah, I can't believe in an energy I cannot see but caused the expansion of the universe in a moment. That just doesn't make sense. I kind of wonder if people who, I mean, the general public who believe in the Big Bang and theory and all that realize what all they're believing in when they say, oh, yeah, I buy that. It's just kind of funny. I don't think people really understand what it's all, what scientifically is all involved in that. Yeah, something you can't see and you can't touch. And yet, in order for everything to function as we have determined it is functioning, you have to have the, these dark matters, dark energy. I think that's what causes me to be in awe and wonder of God is especially in our conversations over the last uh, few weeks is, is just this um, this sense that there's so much at work uh, in our universe and in, in, in our day today I remember one time I was uh, rock climbing with a friend of mine and this number of years ago and we got to the top and we looked out over this this valley and I stood there and I said wow, isn't nature beautiful? Man, I, I just stand in awe of wonder of God and what he created. And my friend says, and isn't nature beautiful? I just stand in awe and wonder of evolution and what she created. And it just, it, and we kind of chuckled together. We'd been th- friends for about three years at that point in time. And, and uh, this shouldn't happen, apparently, in, in our universe, but here, standing with me, is my liberal gay uh, friend, and here I am, a conservative, straight Christian, and we are friends. We are rock-climbing friends, which means we hold each other's lives in each other's hands, so, and he never dropped me. Um, but we have two totally different worldviews. We're, we're receiving the same input. And yet we're standing here interpreting it in two different ways. And we had, we had some, some pretty wonderful conversations. Obviously, my worldview is a, a little bit different. And when I stand and look at our universe, I stand in awe and wonder of how nearly insignificant in the scope of things. I'm going to sh- show that video. This video is, just starts with the earth, and it's going to take us out, kind of get, we're going to get smaller, and we're going to look at the things that are much larger than us. And it reminds me of the psalm I've been reading lately. It says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory in the heavens. It goes on to say, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. This video will go sort of take us back in towards earth again here in a little bit. But it just talks about, it just shows us kind of the scale as, as a hobby astronomist, 
what causes you to be in awe and wonder as you look through your micro or your telescope, whatever scope you look through? <laughs> telescope. Yeah, there it is. Um, just the the huge, the the vastness, the beauty of our universe. That's what causes me to see God and just be in awe of His creation. That He would be so mindful of us to create this beautiful, vast universe for us to study, for us to admire, just draws me to him. I love that thought you shared earlier about the whole balance of it. It doesn't collapse in on itself. It doesn't, you know, rip apart, yet it maintains perfect balance. Uh, Bill, you talk about that perfect balance, and yet uh, in our conversation, you kind of have a different take on what that balance looks like in day to day. A little closer to home, maybe. Um, I've thought about this, and I've tried to talk to the kids over the years, kids here at church, kids at home. And one, one illustration I came up with is the following. Now, let me set the background for where we live in this world because I'm gonna, that's my example. We live in a, in a world that I don't think any of us who are in contact with much of anything in the world would deny. The world is very chaotic. There are a lot of things that are wrong. And that is explainable by Scripture. If you look at the first three chapters of Genesis, you see God created a, a world, and it was perfect. It was fine. He created people, humans, and put them there, and that was fine, and he gave them a job. He said, you tend the world. You, you rule, you reign over that, and that charges with us today. We're still charged with that. However, they sinned. They rebelled against God, and that changed what was happening in the world. You have the the sentence of sin, which is death, and the parallel to that is the curse that God put on the ground. When he booted Adam out of the garden, he says, you're going to make your living out of the ground, but it's it's going to be cursed. It's not going to be just good things growing. It's going to be stuff you don't want. And we see that. In fact, if you read on through the scriptures, you see that curse is universe wide. There's a curse over the whole universe. And so things don't last. Things wear out. Um, if, if you put energy into something, it becomes boiling right back out. If you put, assemble something, build a house. Eventually it falls down. Why is that? I think that's due to the curse. Now that is connected back to science, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But the example I wanted to give is... We all like to eat. You know, food, it's, it's lunchtime. Everybody's hungry. Yes. So can we're going to shorten this up a quite a bit example, here, right? Can we speed this yeah. up? Okay. Now, think about where we live, in this country especially. We basically have all the food we want. And where does food come from? Um, Walmart or Hy-Vee, usually, one, you know, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that isn't quite right because think ahead. Think, think a couple of years ahead. We all, what, the food that we're going to have then, that we anticipate having then, is not in existence for the most part. There's a little frozen food around. There's some canned food around. Not in large quantities. Not near as many as people. So the food that we're anticipating having is not in existence. It hasn't been grown. It hasn't been born if, it, if it's fresh meat. It hasn't been put together if it's... If it's going to be fresh bakery products, it's going to be fresh dairy products, that has to happen. And a whole lot of other things have to happen. For that, In the middle of a chaotic world, 
So how does that work? I think that's God's provision. I think that's God's providence. Now, what about science, all of this? Well, in pretty solid ground in science, there's, there's a thing called the second law of thermodynamics. And what it says mathematically is that if you have a system of things that you've put together and that can be a lot of different kinds of things, it tends to fall apart. Organization tends to leave. Hmm. Energy tends to dribble out. Well, that's God's curse. So science is confirming what we have in the Bible. They don't agree with that. But I think that's... And so there's a balance between God's curse and our needs and our function and our existence. And I think God has a purpose in that. And the New Testament tells us that he is prolonging our existence and our function so that people can come to Christ. That, I love that concept, that in the midst of chaos, which we certainly can see uh, in our world, there is control, there is provision, there is, there's a constant that, that by science says shouldn't, shouldn't be there. And, and Dr. Tim, you look at things even on a, a, a kind of a smaller scale. We, we kind of blew things out here on the video, yet you look at things... In a smaller scale, you know, at one time they used to say the atom was the smallest thing. Then they cracked that thing open and all the stuff fell out. <laughs> and then they, oh, look, well, molecules are the smallest thing. Crack those open and something else falls out, you know. It's like the Russian tea dolls, man. They just keep pulling stuff out. Um, what do you see and what causes you to be an awe and wonder? Well, I don't work with anything smaller than atoms. I'm, I'm kind of a molecule guy myself. Okay. But, uh, but, you know, I, I, I think to me the thing that really... <clears throat> leaves me in awe and wonder of God is the complexity of all that he's made. It's just unbelievably complex. In my research, one of the things I do is I make tools to help us study the function of the brain. And, you know, if you look at the brain, it is just unbelievably complicated. Um, I know a couple of years ago, someone did an imaging study where they tried to image a brain. I don't think it was a person's brain, but they tried to image a brain to see how many connections there were in the brain. And it was quite a difficult thing to do. Um, But what 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 they found out when they extrapolated to a person... Um, they said that the human brain contains so many uh, molecular switches that there's more switches in the human brain than there are in every computer on the planet right now. Let's just give you an idea about how incredibly complicated your brain is. And the the thing that just amazes me is every time a child is born, God has wired together another one of these really complicated machines that, that allow you to think. It's just unbelievably complex. And the more I study it, the more I realize we don't know anything about it. Um, there's this kind of funny story I like to tell sometimes. I even tell it to my chemistry colleagues because they, they got a crack out of it too. Um, and there, we went to, I went to this uh, conference a couple of years back, and it was a conference on how to study the brain. It was really a conference on how can we figure out how the brain works. So they got um, biologists who study the brain. They have chemists like myself who do neurochemistry. They had uh, mathematicians and computer scientists there to try to figure it, to try to, to talk about how we could study the brain. And actually, it was kind of interesting because I saw the, the list of speakers and one of the lists was this, a really famous chemist. He's actually one of the sort of the mental giants in chemistry. And I thought, oh, it's very interesting that he's coming. I'll be, I'll be interested to hear him because he's really good. But he doesn't study the brain at all. I thought, well, I wonder what he's there for. So, so we get to the to talk, and you hear, these, you hear the conference, you hear all these talks. And then this guy gets up there, and he gives this really bizarre talk. And he's talking about making this little plastic solid where he's put these tiny little capillaries in the middle, these tiny little channels where he's running fluids through them. 
He studies what they call microfluidics. And he's suddenly talking about microfluidics. I'm like, what is he getting at with the brain? And he took this solid and he drilled a little air hole, microscopic air hole down into this to channel so that when the uh, water would pass through, it would pull air into the channel and you get these little bubbles. So, I mean, literally spent thousands and th- tens of thousands of dollars to make effectively a big bubble machine, right? Um, so your tax dollars at work. Awesome. So anyway, so he's studying these bubbles, and he's got these bubbles going through. And I guess what he decided, he was going to try to see how many bubbles, how fast the bubbles would come through as he varied the pressure. But it turns out, as soon as you turn the machine on and the water starts going through, this really bizarre thing happened. He got like 26 bubbles in a row, right after each other. And then there was a pause. And then he had five bubbles come out. And then there was a pause. And then he had 17 bubbles come out. And there was a pause. And then it went back 26, 5, 17. 26, 5, 17. What does that mean? So he studied this, and they looked. And, he, and in his talk, he said, I can tell you if right now there is no equation in math or physics that explains these bubbles in my channel. He said, and if I can't explain something as simple as bubbles in a microfluidics channel, there's no way you're going to figure out the brain. <laughs> That's what he told us all. So he said, you know, think about the arrogance of this. So he's standing up there saying, you guys are doomed, right? Don't you, you know, almost, and he didn't like say it, but it's almost, you know, you, you hear him thinking, you don't even try. But what that he did say, actually, I, I thought was very impressive, is then he gave us some, some sort of mental image of how you would start beginning this process of figuring out how the brain works. So I thought, actually, the, the end of his talk was quite good, although at the beginning it was very bizarre. The point is, even <laughs> scientists will tell you that the brain is inc- so incredibly complex that we don't even begin to understand it. And this just puts me in complete awe of God. Because there's just, I mean, I can't even imagine how one of these brains is wired, even to imagine how you could come up with such a thing. Uh, it just, every day I think about it, it just makes me amazed at, at God's creation. Well, I suggest as you study the brain, you start with the male brain, because I don't think there's any way you're going to figure out a woman's brain. <laughs> I'm just saying, and that's truth right there. I'm not a scientist, but I think that's correct. I, lo- I, love his, I love his motivational talk to you. You'll never figure it out. Good job. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Brittany, as we, as we talked, uh, you were talking about some things that you've discovered through biology. I'd love for you to share with us about yeah. what causes you to be an awe and wonder of God. Um, well, what I love is that, going back to even the scale of the universe, um, as a biologist, I get to sit kind of right in the middle. We look at the earth as we know it, and um, biology actually requires knowing all the tiny details and all the big details all at once. And what I start to notice as I look at all of these different levels of creation is all these patterns. And to me, it just speaks to God's creativity and his almost a sense of humor. Like, as it turns out, um, a brain cell is the exact same shape as the universe. And uh, the human eye has the same coloration patterns in it as a nebula. It's it's beautiful, and you can Google these things. Scientists even put these things together, and like, huh, what a coincidental pattern. And, and to me, I'm like, to me, it looks like God's signature, that he's got these, his fingerprints all over creation, and he's almost just begging us to find them. And it's beautiful. Hmm. And so um, it, it causes me to worship, and it goes back to that chart that we saw, is that God has, has revealed himself through Scripture, and he's revealed himself through nature. And, and to me, if we neglect that kind of right side of the column— if we're only looking at the theology and we're not looking for the creation parts of it, we're denying God the ability to present that part of his personality. And so I love to look for those things. And, and to me, God is 
is gracious enough to help to reveal even like spiritual truths through the physical truths. Um, Jesus knew that that was a thing. He he gave farming metaphors and then that led to like a deeper spiritual truth in his parables, right? And so I get to look for all those same things and notice all these patterns and notice that really he's trying to speak truth into our lives through all of it. Hmm. So, like the scripture says, nobody's with an ex- no one has an excuse because God has revealed himself through all of creation. You know, some of you might know the, the famed scientist Richard Dawkins. And he, he's spoken and he's, he's written about this thing he calls the illusion of design. That all of nature, all, all that we can see and study, gives this grand illusion of having purpose, of having a creator, of having an intelligent design. And yet he goes back to, it's all just an illusion. It's it's deceivingly purposeful, but it has no purpose. It's all chance. It's all random. Um, he he takes the human eye. Uh, if I looked at the the complexity of the human eye, it's infinite, infinitely complicated. And I say, wow, this could never have evolved. God must there must be some creator there. For us, it's it's God. Richard Dawkins looks at it and says, wow, isn't this eye infinitely complex? Isn't evolution great? Again, it's just, it's the worldview that we approach uh, facts and and data sets, as you call them, uh, and how we then interpret them. I choose to believe in the grand illusionist, that God has created everything with purpose and design and, and out of love of all things. He created out of love to be in relationship with mankind, revealing himself through scripture and through nature. The scripture reminds us that, that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And again, scripture writes that the message of the cross, that, that not, is, not only is there a creator, but that he reveals himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And the scripture goes on to say that it's, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who believe, it's the power of salvation. And that's what I choose to believe. And I I think many of you choose to believe that as well. And I think the great thing about it is that we're not just created, but we're loved. We're not an accident, but we are are a purposeful creation of God, designed designed to worship him, designed to be in relationship with him. And, And as we move towards Easter, the next couple of weeks, we talk, we're going to talk specifically about this man. Jesus Christ. And there is a collision of worldviews when we talk about the person of Jesus Christ and who he is and what does it mean and how do we interpret his life, his death. And, and for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, believe in this thing called the resurrection, which, which Easter is uh, kind of hinges on. But today I hope we've sparked your curiosity, your, your awe and wonder of God. Again, I go back to the statement I said earlier. I think God is glorified when we stand in awe and wonder, when we, when we try to discover his ways, his thoughts. None of us will ever get there. None of us will know everything. I was a little disappointed that you said scientists don't know everything. I was a little let down, but all right, we'll get on with it. Perhaps this morning your curiosity and, and even your faith has been pricked a little bit. Perhaps you've been away from God saying he doesn't exist or he, at least he didn't reveal himself through Jesus, but maybe today your thoughts have been turned a little bit by the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe 
resides in us as believers and it'll draw you to him. I encourage you, get into the habit of reading scripture. I believe God will reveal himself, not only through scripture, but also through nature. I think when you combine the two, Brittany, as you you talked, when you combine the two, this theology and this science, you begin to just grasp, I think just begin to see just a tiny bit of who our wonderful, awesome, glorious God is. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray today? I'd love to bless you. And, and for those of you who maybe are uh, yet to step into faith, I challenge you that this week would be that week of discovery. And maybe, maybe you'll accept the challenge to say such a prayer to God. Say, God, if you're real, reveal yourself. I believe he's big enough to do that. I believe he's personal, personal enough to do that. And simply make that your prayer. God, reveal yourself to me. And for those of you who are Christ followers, maybe you'll say that same prayer. God, I want to see you in a new way this week. Reveal yourself through scripture and through nature. And when my experience doesn't line up uh, with what your scripture says, will you lead me into the path of righteousness and wisdom? It's all for his name's sake. Let me bless you today. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us through your son, Jesus. And that we can know you and we can know you personally because you know us personally and intimately. We stand amazed at your creation. We stand amazed at this glorious thing that you created for us to enjoy that we might see you through it. And I pray that would be the case this week as we walk about your world and interact. Would you cause those of us who are Christ followers to lead a life in such a way to draw people to you? Not because we can argue them, but because we simply live in a worldview that values people and points the way to you. Bless your people as we walk from this place today. It's in the mighty name of Jesus I ask this. Amen. Hey, bless you this week as you go about your business. May you see it as the Lord's business. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. Hey, we are so glad you listened in. If you're looking for more information on anything in today's sermon or how to get involved at Christian Chapel, please visit our website at c2church.com or email us at nextsteps at c2church.com.